0: Well, good morning, Northern Hills Church. Good it's good to be with you this morning. My name's Brandon, and I am the Connections pastor here. I uh, have an opportunity to teach every now and again as well, and so part of the, as part of the teaching team, it's just a thrill to be with you all this morning, and of course, those of you that are joining us online. I wanted to ask you a question this morning. Are you aware of the need-to-knows of church? Are you aware of the need-to-knows? Now, here's what I mean by that because I put that in quotations. Every church you walk in or every church culture you experience, there's some need-to-knows about that building or that space you've walked into. Now, some of you that are here for the first time like, oh, gosh, what am I doing here? Like, is this guy going to tell me some need-to-knows that I haven't, you know, checked the boxes on yet? Here's the deal. Some churches have really long lists of need-to-knows. Some churches have shorter lists. And I could just talk about a lot of them, but I just wanted to highlight a couple, like sometimes we just need to know the schedule. We just need to know what's going on, like sort of how things function. And we sort of give here a pretty, like, I wouldn't call it cookie cutter. We try to throw you a curveball every now and again, but for the most part, you know that there's gonna be three songs-ish in the front. There's a little teaching and then, you know, maybe a song or two in the back to close shop with some announcements or some updates bled in somewhere. And it's important to have that need to know because many of you like coffee. Many of you just love your coffee. It's the nectar of the gods, and so I know what it's like. I've been there. I've been in your shoes. Maybe out by the little coffee shop, the cafe. You know you still have a song or two to get in before you're going to hear the teaching. Some of you, you need to know when the teaching is because that's your time to check out. That's your time to get a little nap in for the morning. Oh, Pastor Brandon's up. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and just doze off for a little bit or whatever, right? It's just a need to know, and you need to know that based on what church culture you're in. Some of it, it's the dress. You ever have those churches that you come into? And we're pretty, But again, need to know for Northern Hills, come as you are. We're pretty laid back. I'm not in sweats and, like, you know, the Crocs yet. No one wants to see that anyway, but I, it might be my, my last time teaching if I was in the sweats and Crocs. But we're jeans and just sort of laid back. But I, I'm telling you, sometimes you need to know. You need to know that church address and church culture and how it works. I took a group of students on a mission trip middle of the, uh, Kansas City, and as we went into Kansas City, we went to First Baptist Church or something, and we were in our shorts, and we were in our, our uh, mission t-shirts, and we walked in, and we were out of place immediately, all right? We, we should have dressed up for that trip and just didn't think that through. We had a great morning. They loved us well, but it was just, right? There's just some needs to knows, and I would say this. Every church worth their, worth their salt. Every church that is Bible-believing, Jesus-following church is going to tell you the need to know, the thing that you should walk away with confidently and understanding fully in your life, in your hearts, in your head, is that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves, right? That's the need to know. Now, see, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up in the church, and so I had to come along a little later in life, but I remember engaging with a song as I was starting to find myself in some church circles, and it said that Jesus loves me, this I know. Right? For the Bible tells me so. And I took that as basically gospel, because if the Bible says it, then I should just believe that. And so that became for me a head knowledge thing. I was very aware that that was something that I was taught But I don't know if intrinsically, and if in my everyday life, I really captured that. And sometimes it's easy to fall back on, ooh, maybe I've misunderstood what love is. We've all maybe misunderstood, despite our greatest efforts to check the right answer on the what God is like box, but maybe we have never really fully understood that within our heart. And I don't think I'm the only person that has maybe misunderstood God's love before. I think there are many of us that either don't receive God's love the way he intended us to receive it, or we don't reciprocate that love to others the way he's intending us to pass that along, to pay it forward, if you will. In your own life or the life of others, have you noticed that people don't seem to love one another that much? Are you seeing that, especially in today's culture? It's interesting, the University of Michigan, they did a comprehensive study on 14,000 college students. And what they found was that there was a drastic decline in empathy over a 20 year period. What they actually did in this study, it was through a 20-year period, they found that empathy, this ability, again, keep in mind, empathy is the ability to love someone or love a person that is walking through something, that, that has an understanding and shares the feelings of what somebody is navigating. And the results of this massive study showed that, that we were 40% less willing to love somebody, 40% w- less willing to care for somebody than in the 1980s. And what's really tragic is that some of you are looking at me like, I don't care. (laughs) What are we going to eat for lunch this morning (laughs) or or, or this afternoon? What are we going to have for lunch? That's what your mind is and what you're thinking about. The 40%. It doesn't even impact some of us because data and stats is just sort of just another way to maybe make your point, preacher. But I hope... I hope that this gets in our kitchen enough to make make us worried. Because yes, we need to know about Jesus and his love. We need to know that so we can love others well. And I wonder if that 40% is reflective of how we believe Jesus' love is a thing, but that we don't really understand what that means. We, We drastically misunderstood what love even is. So, we've been in this series for the last couple of weeks called Three Short Years. And the heart of this series was to spend time looking at the life of Jesus. We really wanted to have more of a, an opportunity to lead up into the Easter weekend with some reverence, being able to look at Jesus' life and say, hey, if he made impact in such a short amount of time, we're talking 30 years of his life, he's living anonymously and then he comes on the scene and gets after it in a very short period of time, makes some changes that change the course of human history, we might wanna look at how he lived. We might wanna look at things that he's done, the way he lived his life to its full potential, because I think that's worth asking because we wanna live that way. We wanna have lives that count, that matter, that have impact. What are some of the principles that Jesus practiced? Well. This morning, we're going to look at the love of Jesus. We need to know what propelled him, what propelled him to love with this radical kind of love. So I, I, I dug into that study a little bit more because it just it was interesting to me. 40%, really? Doing a little research in the research, and this might interest you, they had questions as they took this uh, survey of the, of the college students and, and they would take statements uh, rating from one to five, five being the, the most likely, uh, one being the least likely. And one statement said, I sometimes try to understand my friends better by looking at things from their perspective. Again, having empathy. But there was a drastic drop in people that actually did that. And so there, there, there was um, another one. I often have a tender, concerned feeling about people that are less fortunate than me. Significant drop. Fewer people called themselves soft hearted than they did years before. Others' misfortunes didn't bother individuals as much. They didn't care about people, they didn't love people. It raises the question where is it? Where's the love? Where's our care for our fellow brother, our, our fellow sister? Now, there's some theories around this, and some of you know the theories because you're living in that moment. Our country seems to be more divided than it ever has been. Just take us out of some specific political cycles, right? And we've seen this division up front and close. Look at what some experts will argue. They'll argue, actually, that the rise in social media actually causes people to love or care less about others. Now, here's some theories. Just write these down if you're taking some notes, if you want to take some mental notes. I think we love others less because we love ourselves more. We love others less because we love ourselves more. Now, look, I'm all about loving self, okay? And what I mean by that is, like, there there are a lot of great things. I'm I'm pro-counseling, I'm pro-taking care of yourself, building boundaries, and, and, and I'm about all of it, right? Uh, we, we need some personal healing, and that stuff needs to take place because we have to work through some rooted issues. But I'm going to sound like the old man a little bit this morning because uh, some of you will agree with me on this. Selfie was never part of our vernacular. Selfie's a new thing. For those that are younger in the room, uh, selfie's been part of your vocabulary ever since you grew up, and that's normal to you, but that's not normal. Selfies is not normal. It's not normal to take a picture of yourself with a camera, turning a camera on yourself, all right? And, and some of us in the, in the room, because selfie is like a whole new language, you're like, what's he talking about? I still haven't done this yet. Well, I'm going to inform you about what it is to take a selfie, all right? And there's a lot of things that go to this because I have a 15 year old daughter. And so I feel like I'm a little bit of an expert on selfie culture now, all right? This 15-year-old daughter is teaching me now. And we need to be careful with this because there's way more to it than you might even imagine. There are different types of selfies, all right? There's different types of selfies. It's not just like smiling selfie and you're done. There is the driving in the car selfie. I don't know how this is even safe. I mean, seriously, we're driving in our cars and doing the selfie or whatever. Now, now has sort of a tradition every time I get her from school she'll park in the back seat and because I don't know maybe she hasn't had her phone like a hundred percent of the day she feels like it's her opportunity and she's taking it in the back seat hey and all this I'm like oh my gosh really you're so self-consumed what's going on right and so there's the driving there's the duck face selfie All right, some of you have done the duck face selfie. In fact, I think actually the ladies in the room, you're a little bit better at the duck face selfie than the guys are, all right? Here's my best attempt at it. (laughs) I I hope you captured that online, all right? I don't know, maybe that's not a good thing. But there's the cute pet selfie, like I'm with my dog who's licking my face right now, which is actually reason 523 why I don't want a pet. I don't want a dog. I'm just looking at these selfies, right? There's the, ah, look at what I'm eating at the moment selfie. There's the, hey, I'm at the ball game, and I have way better seats than you do selfie, right? We send that one out all the time. I just got my new haircut, or or I just woke up, and there's selfie, selfie, selfie. We just have to admit it. We're a little obsessed with ourselves. We're a little consumed with ourselves. Check this out, studies show. This is interesting to me because I'm not on all the social medias, but it's interesting to me that 80% of what a person does on social media actually relates directly to the user. Catch that. In other words, if I'm going on social media, I wanna see what I'm interested in, what you're saying about me, what you like about me, what, if you like my picture, did you comment on it? About 80% of what we do directly relates to us because this is what happens. When someone does take uh, time to respond to what we've posted or our picture, a little little thing of dopamine goes (laughs) into our brain and we start feeling good and it strokes our ego and we start feeling really good about ourselves. There's this nice legal buzz that we experience. I like this. It's helping feed the monster, right? And it makes us more self-centered. We end up loving others less and we love ourselves more. There's a second theory, we love others less because we have become desensitized. Check this out, we've been over, I don't know if you've ever thought of it in this way, but we've been overwhelmingly exposed to pain. Whether it's online, our phones, right, anywhere we engage, we see pain every day. This, this was a wake-up call for me this last week. Most recent um, shootings in Nashville, school shootings, took place. And what was interesting to me is it made, again, a little bit of everybody on more heightened awareness. My son's middle school had a little issue where they were okay, concerned about the middle school. They had you know, sent some text to parents is what we think we got going. But again, the, the authorities are on it. Everybody is not on lockdown. We're, we should be in good shape. Got another update. Literally, it felt like minutes later. Everything seemed good. I get my kids again after school that day. And it's like a graveyard in the parking lot. It was actually, it was beautiful because usually it takes, feels like five hours to get out of the school parking lots, right? But I was able to drive through and breeze through and I'm sort of like, where is everybody? What happened? (laughs) And what my kids inform me is like, well, their parents picked them up about midday, dad. You didn't give a rip about us. (laughs) And and it was funny because I'm like, oh, wow. I think I'm desensitized. On some level, it didn't even dawn on me to go pick them up because, oh yeah, just another, just another warning at the school, Nashville, maybe just another school shooting. We see overwhelming pain all the time and so we become desensitized to it. And experts say that because we see everything on a timeline, one post, one post, a a news story, another post, we see everything on that timeline and so what happens is our brain doesn't know how to differentiate what's more important than the other. And you may think you have this down but just take some time and think what you read through in your thread, right? You can check it out and there's a recipe for guacamole And then immediately you're scrolling down and you hear about someone else in the news that sexually assaulted somebody. But then the next thing you scroll down to is a funny cat video. And you watch that for a little while. The next thing you're scrolling down to is an update about the war in Ukraine. And so we have this sort of thread that we walk through and we can't distinguish between what's more important because it's in the thread. Is guacamole more important? Is the sexual assault more important? Because it's equal on the thread. And so it becomes equal in our minds. And you may not think you're there, but just take a moment to pause and consider. This is what, where we start to love people less when we become so desensitized to the evil and the pain in this world. One last theory. We love others less because we lack personal interaction with one another. Now, I think we're growing in this. You know, COVID took us away from one another. We didn't have opportunities to to spend time one-on-one and and sort of all huddled up. And we're doing that now. We see people at coffee shops and we're connecting for dinners, inviting people into our homes. This is growing again. But what's interesting to me is that we'll still use Facebook or we might even use our phones with our people, that thread we send out. And we're giving them some weighty information because of our lives. Maybe you're sending something to someone and you're like, you know what, I just lost my job. And so how do we respond in love? praying for you. Hey, that's, that's horrible. We got your back. And and again, all those things can be true. You might be very well praying for that person, but you might forget to pray for that person. Come on, let's just be real. You might get busy and and that falls on your list and there's something that you end up not doing. And so they fall down into sort of the priorities. But if you were to spend time with that person, if you did grab dinner with that person and you're having the conversation over a meal or over a drink I lost my job and then you find out that they're not going to be able to pay for their kids sports anymore or the dance club that they're involved in they're not going to be able to actually cover their mom's payment at the nursing home they're trying to just get their mom you know living and and that's going to affect even how they pay their mortgage and all of a sudden the weight of losing job becomes very real when you sit across from someone when you're interacting with them it's like, whoa, this is heavy. And so we show love when we spend time in those moments, but we love others less because we do lack that personal interaction. We show love less in our lives. Church, as followers of Jesus Christ, God is calling us to so much more all those theories, all those things that may be true for our lives, we need to know, what we need to know is that love matters and that love counts. And so I want us to look at the life of Jesus. I want us to look at what he accomplished in three short years as he displayed this radical love for others. And I think we could break down various forms of the word love I think we could define that biblically this morning, but what I want to engage with us this morning is this idea of one-way love. Have you ever heard about this? It's something that I, I, was, I was sort of smacked over the head in a really good way years and years ago with understanding that God's love is one-way love. And it's one-way love simply defined because he sent his son Jesus Christ to pay the price for our sins, to be able to come in the gap, and, and to, to love us in such a way that he would die for us, that he would prove he was God. But it's one way, because there's not necessarily anything that's reciprocal that God or Jesus is needing from us for that. And I don't know if you've ever thought of it in that way, because I think we deal with our relationships all the time as very reciprocal Spencer, if I love you and I show that I love you at some level, I'm also pouring my life out to you and expecting, right or wrong, for you to love me back. And when you don't, that that just feels awkward. That feels weird. But because of that reciprocal nature, I have some expectations on that. And so I put those expectations on a holy God. That's not one-way love. Jesus loves us one way and one way only because he's made it his life mission to do that. He is love. It's not something we can pay back. It's not something we can return. It's, it's one way. So what's the challenge then? If we're to love others with a one-way type of love, we need to learn from Jesus about what that even looks like. Now, there's a number of instances in his three short years where he practices this. We, we know some of these stories. He comforts a, a, just a broken-down prostitute, someone that someone who wouldn't spend any time with. He loves her. He rebukes Pharisees. He shows love in a tough way because they're intentionally, these Pharisees, religious leaders of the day, are intentionally hurting some of those that are spiritually weak or wounded. And so he speaks words of mercy. He speaks words of humility over them. He whispers to traitors and, and treacherous loan sharks and points them in the direction of true life. He loves them in that way. And so many times in Jesus' life, we see that he has this compassion, this love for others, but that compassion is always represented by something else. It's not just a feeling. It's not just some words he's sharing. The corresponding action that Jesus has with his compassion is action that's the corresponding action it's doing something it's moving it's not just feeling something check this out a couple examples here mark chapter 1 verses 40 through 41 a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of jesus begging to be healed if you're willing you can heal me and make me clean he said moved with compassion jesus reached out and touched him i am willing he said be healed Instantly, the leprosy disappeared, and the man was healed. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. One-way love, it demands action. One-way love demands action. Jesus reached out, and he touched the man. Now, the Greek word there for this word called compassion, it means to have the bowels yearn. I have no idea what that means. But I'm telling you, it sounds pretty important, right? I'm just Bible dictionary it here, right? To have the bowels yearn. I gotta be honest with you, that's confusing to wrap my head in horror, but I, I, I sense it as I dug in a little bit. It's the intestines doing something inside of you, right? There's this aching inside of your body. It's to feel deep sympathy. The word, don't miss this, compassion. It means to be moved to action, And that's so powerful when we talk about loving people because loving people can't just simply be an emotion. Our feelings are fleeting and they can go back and forth on any given day, in any given minute. True love, true compassion, it demands action and Jesus reached out and he touched the man and he healed him. Verse 45, the man went and he spread the word because his life was changed and he's proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out of the secluded places, but God but people from everywhere, excuse me, kept coming to him. Now there's also a famous story we note about Jesus feeding the five thousand. And just before that story takes place in Matthew 14, as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. And Jesus saw this huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had what? Compassion. He had compassion on them and he healed their sick. He left the boat. He's willing to get out and he healed the sick. He didn't say praying for you guys. I'll be thinking about you. Hope that works out. He felt for them and he was moved towards action. What about the story where Jesus now he's predicting his death, but he's predicting his death for the third time and in Matthew chapter 20 as Jesus and his disciples are leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And two blind men were sitting by the roadside and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, "Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us." And the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, "Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us." And Jesus stopped and called them what do you want me to do for you he asked Lord they answered we want our sight Jesus had compassion and on on them he touched their eyes immediately they received their sight and followed him Jesus was always about one way love and that one way love propelled him towards an actionable movement to say you love and not to act It's not to love at all. It's tragic to live in a society that would care 40% less about people than what we did just, just a few years back. It's going to be unacceptable, I believe, in God's church to sit back and not act. There are people in need. And this is just the bottom line for me. This is just being honest now. The more I spend time focused on myself... The more I'm worried about that selfie or about what someone's commenting on anything that has to do with me and what I'm doing or what I'm up to, the less I'm focused on Jesus. But the more I'm focused on Jesus, the more I look to serve him, the more I look to be in relationship with him, discover what he's said about himself and about me and about how he functions in this world, how he functioned in the world that he set foot on. The more I spend time with Jesus, the more I love others. I love myself less because strangely, he's doing something in me. I'm literally dying to myself. I care less about me. I deny myself. I take up my cross the more I spend time with Jesus. And so I don't know what this will mean for you. I don't fully know I'm asking God, even in this preparation, what does this mean for me, God? But when was the last time that you even just took a whole day, maybe even a whole weekend, and you looked to love someone, to serve someone other than yourself? Just to serve and love them, to meet their needs. When was the last time you gave financially? Not just what you were expecting to give or what you felt you had to check the box to give, but you gave financially to an individual, to a cause, to something that you knew God was leading you towards. And and it was going to make a difference in someone else's life. When is the last time you just didn't do something you wanted to do? Like, I get it. Sometimes I just want to go home and veg. I just want to take a little me time, a little rest time. Guys, we like our bubble baths, right? (laughs) Okay, maybe it's just me. Fine, that's all right. Just throw me out on the bus, guys. I appreciate that. But seriously... I get all of that. Sometimes we just want that downtime, that reset. But when is the last time you knew in your heart of hearts you needed to get up from that catch? You need to get up from watching that game and go help somebody, invest in someone else's life. A lot of you would say, you know what? I have done some of those things recently. And praise God. Praise God for you being obedient to those calls. But some of us can't remember the last time we did. And, and some of us It's because we don't really feel close to Jesus. It's because life is about us. It's not about what Christ is doing. One way love demands action. So what I want to do for the rest of our time together is I want us to consider some things that we need to if we're considering this one way love if we're going to say, yeah, I am going to be that Christ follower that loves others like Jesus loves me. But I think we have to make some, consider some things along the way with that. The first thing I want you to notice is that one way love interrupts. One way love is going to interrupt your life. Uh, You can check these out a little later Find the text and read through them I'm just going to sort of sum them up But in Mark 6, Jesus and the disciples They've been working their tails off doing ministry Okay, They're just exhausted, they're fried They're in that space of wanting just to lay low And have a little bit of me time Let's go take a break This is Jesus suggesting this Let's go rest It's all his idea And then somebody takes these kids before, um, uh, or excuse me, somebody basically uh, comes up and they have a need. And Jesus, suddenly the big crowd comes. Scripture says he's moved with compassion. That compassion word comes up yet again. And that they wanted more. And that he wanted more for them. He hadn't even eaten. He wanted to rest. But he got up and he taught them. Because that's what one-way love does. He acted on the thing that was, it was, he was looking to be obedient to. He was interrupted, but he made time. I'm going to go serve them. Many of us are more familiar with the story in Mark 2. And it's one of the craziest stories we read about because Jesus is teaching and it's a record attendance day. And it's a record attendance day in a home. He's getting ready to teach and there's these men that they're trying to get their paralyzed friend into the house, but they can't do it because there's a large crowd building and they're trying to make this happen. And suddenly they get on the roof. Jesus is teaching, they're on the roof, and all of a sudden these roof particles start falling on his head. What's going on here? What's happening here? They're digging through the roof, roof droppings falling on the head of Jesus. And so, what does he do? Because if I'm teaching, I'm probably trying to say something like, okay, let's get security here. What's happening? Right? We're, we're, We're fanning out of here. I don't know. But Jesus takes time to teach them. He's teaching the crowd, and he stops, he listens to the guy. He forgives his sins, and then he heals him. He was interrupted. And I will argue, church, all day long, that those are going to be the most divine moments that God gives you when you're willing to be interrupted. God often works through those interruptions that we will miss because we're always on to the next thing. I don't know what that's going to be for you again. I don't know if that's going to be today that you're supposed to get on the phone and just call somebody. You're supposed to have a verbal interaction with somebody and just connect with them to interrupt your Sunday to do that. Maybe it's gonna be on the drive that you do see the car pulled over, you see the flat tire and you're just thinking, I have 50 errands to run, I have so much to do, but you're stopping. You're stopping because you're gonna serve someone else. Maybe it's that individual in your sprint group that is blah, 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 always talking, all right? This is, a, this is a prerequisite. Everybody has these in sprint groups. They're called EGRs, Extra Grace Required People, all right? They are. I'm that person in my sprint group, okay? So if you don't think you're that person, hashtag you're that person. But seriously. We all have those extra grace-required people in our lives, and sometimes you're going to have to be interrupted just to be able to take some time and hear what they're saying to love them well because your one-way love interrupts. The second thing is one-way love costs. One-way love costs you something. See, Jesus told this compelling story about the good Samaritan guy. And he goes and helps this juice guy. He goes out of his way to help someone. <laughs> and someone actually that hated him. But he bandages up the guy up. He, he picks up this bloody guy. He puts him on his donkey. And he goes and he pays two days of his earnings to a hotel owner. <laughs> so the guy can actually stay there. I mean, I, who would take two days of wage, you know, just to pay for someone that they don't even know. This total stranger. See, this is what it's going to do is it costs us. I remember moving out when I was 18 years old and for those of you when it was time to move out and either go to college or go do your own thing it was a beautiful day wasn't it I I know for me I was pining for it I really did want to get out of my home I wanted to make my way have my independence go into the state college gonna live in Arvada easy travel schedule find some roommates and do the thing (laughs) I love this series because three short years later I was back home I was back home three short years later. I had built up debt and I got myself in trouble. And I remember being so entitled when I went back home. I remember being a person that was just stepping in and sort of like, mom's rules don't count anymore. I had had a tumultuous relationship with my mom anyway. That's why I wanted to get out. And so here we are, all we're doing is fighting. And she's, it's a beautiful day outside. I'm like, no, it's not, it's rainy outside, right? I just was trying to fight, just to fight. And I remember my mom at one point just came to me. And because we had just been fighting back before she looked at me and she's like, "I love you. I love you, Brandon. But I'm kicking you out. You're moving out of the house because all you want to do is constantly fight. All you're looking to do and you know what? She was right. She was right to kick me out. I had to figure out my way. I had to do some things that I didn't expect in that moment. But hindsight allows me to look back. Now, if you know the story about my mom, some of you are new. You know that that story has come full circle. My mom grew to have some dependence problems, some some abuse problems with drugs, early onset dementia. She is now in a home, and I am her conservator and guardian. And I have her in a place that she doesn't want to be. See, love's going to cost you something. And our relationship has been back and forth to do the right thing in the right moment, to do the right thing that God's calling you to in that moment, and still have the tumultuous like, hey, there's not a bow on this yet. I mean, we're, we're still going through this journey, my mom and I, loving one another, loving one another the hard way, doing the hard thing, because love is messy. But there's beauty in that. When you get outside of yourself, when you follow what God leads you to do, And you may think it's one thing and then find out that it's actually something else. It may lead you to a whole new chapter that you never, ever saw coming. I'm still seeing the beauty in this back and forth that my mom have no conclusion around. And I don't know what it'll be for you. Maybe it's going to be diving into one of those students' lives over there in Icon a middle schooler or a high schooler, and you're going to love this kid. You're going to love this student. And you're going to pour your life into them. and You're going to do life. And, and that kid, you're going to find out, is cutting themselves. And you're going to find out that they're dealing with some real major issues. And so you're going to serve them with purpose. You're going to go out of them where, your way to have one-way love towards them, and it's going to be difficult. One-way love will cost you. It interrupts. It costs But one way love changes lives. One way love changes lives. Because everywhere that Jesus went, everyone he interacted with in three short years, he changed lives. And I love that one of the most famous pictures we get to see of this, one of the very familiar stories we have in the scriptures, is called the story of the parable of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now, before you die. And so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons, and a few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land where he wasted all of his money in wild living. About this time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve And so he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one, no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. Here I am dying of hunger. And so the father He knew in order to win the heart of his son, he had to risk losing him altogether. So he gives him something, he gives him something more dangerous and more reckless than what you would expect is that inheritance. Isn't that dangerous? Isn't that reckless? You're not, you're not building any boundaries here. He gives him something way more reckless than the son is asking for. He gives him grace because truth be told, the son goes out and he blows his inheritance on women and wine. And then he's thinking through his sheepishly, I got to go back home. And so he's like, I'll go home to my father. I'll say, father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so he returns home to his father. And while he's still a long way off, his father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion he leads action. He ran to his son, and he embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, here's the script. I've, I've sinned both against, you, heaven, against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And so his father, who's been waiting for this moment, waiting for this moment, says to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. That's one way love. And it doesn't make any sense to us and it doesn't need to because it's God's kind of love poured out. That father who puts a robe on his son, who puts a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet, in a moment, he restored his son's status as rightful heir, as son whom he was well pleased with. And that son didn't need to say anything and he didn't need to do anything. And what you need to know is one way love can flow through you despite where you've been, despite what you've done, despite what you think you need to pay God back with, he wants to use you for one-way love now, today. And God does change a life. And it's my life that he changed, and he's changed yours too. Your story, you know the person. You know the person that helped lead you to Jesus if you have a relationship with him. You know the person that helped navigate still to this day, Curtis Fletcher, (laughs) Carrie and Caleb Kingsley, Carrie Glenn, Kurt Anderson, Scott Harper, you know the people that changed the trajectory of your story and one way love was lived through them and that's what we need to know that God wants to use you for those very same purposes because God will change lives and he's looking to change yours the most. As we're talking about God, I just want those in the room that maybe you're feeling, yeah, I think he is righteous. I think the father who's representative of Christ in that story is is the kind of love I want, that kind of compassion, that kind of love. I want to feel that and sense that because I've been in it. And what you need to know, if you're a person in the room that wants to experience that love for the first time, it's so easy to do. And that love is not just a feeling or emotion that God's bestowing on you. See, God is not just bestowing this feeling or this emotion on you because God is love. It's his nature. It's not what he does, it's who he is. And so God loves you so much that he wants to start a relationship with you. And he gives you the choice to take that step into it. So would we all just bow our heads, close our eyes and just take this time to pray. (sighs) Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, wow, we thank you for one-way love. And for my friends that are in the room that have never experienced one-way love in their lives or their hearts, Lord, may they just pray this prayer in the silence of their hearts as I pray it aloud, Jesus, come and shower me with that one-way love. I invite you into my life. I am a sinner in need of a savior. I am I'm someone that definitely feel, has felt in moments I might be beyond repair. But thank you, Lord, that you love me unconditionally and that you love me with something that I could never repay or never give back to you reciprocally. God, that you just love me for who I am. And nothing I can do will help you love me more and nothing I've ever done or regret will help you love me less. God, I invite you into my life. And I say today, you are the king of my life. And if you prayed that prayer, tell somebody. Tell somebody you came with or tell somebody you trust because your life is forever changed and there is a party going on in heaven and there are things that will be revealed to you that it will be new and fresh and have meaning. God loves you. God, for the rest of us, Lord, would you help us be the ambassadors of one way love to everyone we come into contact with, Lord, and may the step we take be actionable, not the thing that we just tweet away or text away and feel a little bit maybe of a warm fuzzy, but that you, Lord, are convicting our hearts to not only use words, but use movement to step into the lives of your people and show them one way love. God, give us courage, give us strength. We're trusting you to, to um, make those moments. And go- Lord, we're going to give you the glory for the whole ride. God, thank you for this morning. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.